Well, this morning we begin a series on Acts. Uh, what a wonderful book. If you haven't read through the book of Acts in a while, I commend it to you. It is often at the beginning of a Bible reading plan, so if you're following one of those, very often you'll, you'll read it towards the beginning of it. Um, it. It is just a fascinating book of all that the Lord does and did uh, as He established uh, the first century church, as we see so much happening, so many things that raise questions that we have to seek answers for. Uh, but, but one of the, the, the key principles, the key themes of, uh, of Acts is that there's nothing that can stop the progression of the church. There's nothing that can stop the progression of the kingdom of God, even as we wait for the day of His return. So this morning we open up the book of Acts. We begin together to study this book, and we'll be focusing on chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given command to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that during this time you would feed us, feed us by your word, that you would send forth your spirit and grant anointing, ears to hear and eyes to see, help the preacher and hearer alike. In the name of Jesus, we plead it. Amen. God has given us His trustworthy Word, the presence of Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit as we go to be witnesses to Him around the world. God has given us His trustworthy Word, the, the presence of Christ, and the indwelling of the Spirit as we go to seek to share His name here and around the world. You know, trans, transitions can be tough. As I look back in my life, some of the hardest times in my life were in those times of transition. Sometimes they're exciting. Well, they're usually always exciting in good ways or bad. Sometimes they bring blessings and sometimes they don't. Think about the transitions that you've made in your lifetime. Perhaps transitioning from elementary school to middle school. And then the dreaded shift or perhaps the one long look for of middle school to, to high school. And the day you've always longed for, heading off to college or hitting out on your own and getting a job and having your own household and then that transition of getting married and then that big transition of having youngins. 
of retirement. What do I do with my life? What about that paycheck? And then ultimately the biggest transition that we haven't made yet. Believers to heaven, unbelievers to hell. Now, if you were to write down an account of those transitions, they're most of the time going to include some real excitement and then some mundane things too. It's going to include those mundane things that you have to do all the time, like eating and sleeping and doing laundry and those sorts of things. But, but then there are going to be other things, those one-off things, those never-to-be-repeated things, like the first time you meet a neighbor or the first time you walk into your job or setting up new accounts at the bank or changing your dress. Well, Acts is a book of transitions. In fact, we might call it a transitional book. And we're going to see things in the book of Acts that are kind of the everyday things. The devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. That's what, that's what we do in church, the teaching of the Bible. Of, of breaking bread together at the table. Of coming together for prayer and seeking to make the name of God known. But those are the things that really are what the church is called to do. But then we also have those um, spectacular, supernatural things that... Those things that will never be repeated, like the day of Pentecost, right? When, when 3,000 souls are added to the church and there's that miracle of hearing or the miracle of speaking, depending on which way you look at it. It's a book that will span about 33 years. It will begin with Jesus still on earth. But it will end with the greatest Pharisee, who was the greatest persecutor of the church, having been converted, not just converted, but gone on three missionary journeys, and then finally in jail in Rome, soon to appeal before Caesar. That, that's a lot of change. That's a big transition. It's a transitional book. But it is one that will remind us that God's kingdom cannot be thwarted, but will continue to grow until Christ returns. And as we look at Christ's words to His disciples here, to the eleven apostles... We see these three things. That God has given us His trustworthy Word. That God has given us the presence of Christ. And He has given us the indwelling Spirit as we go forth to make disciples of all nations. Well, as we interact with the book of Acts, we are reminded that the author, Luke, uh, that he and this book, that this book rather, and all of Scripture, that they are trustworthy. Why would this be important? Why is it important that Scripture is trustworthy, that Luke... And the gospel, of, uh, the gospel of Luke and Acts are trustworthy books. Well, any time that you go around talking about supernatural things, it's important to have some good eyewitnesses. And so Luke wrote down volume one of his work known as the gospel of Luke. And he relied there, we are told, in, from, on many witnesses and many sources as an historian, as a theologian, and as a doctor to make sure that he got the details right. And, and so he does the same thing in, with the book of Acts, which is his second volume. And it picks up right where the first volume left off. And so he introduces us to this new volume, to this soon-to-be international bestseller in verses 1 through 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up, after which, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He has, he has written Luke and now Acts for the benefit of a man named Theophilus. 
Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, that name means uh, friend of God or friendly lover of God. Uh, that philos, that friend, that, that brotherly love of, of theos, of, of God himself. We think perhaps he was a Roman official. In Luke chapter 1, he's referred to as, oh, most excellent Theophilus. And it sounds a lot like what people would call Roman officials in those days. He could have been a patron, or he could have just been someone that Luke is setting up to write to as an excuse to write. It could be a literary device. We're not sure. But we learn very quickly that he is acting as a really good historian. And he is going to be relying on sources. Now, he knew a lot of the people in the book of Acts. He knew Paul and Peter and James and Titus and Silas. But did you know that Luke also experienced a lot of what we read in the, uh, in the book of Acts? If you'll notice, especially in the second and third missionary journey, you see Luke go from they to we. He experienced, he traveled with Paul. And he would even travel with Paul to Rome for his imprisonment. He is one who has seen much of which we read here. Luke is careful to remind us that the resurrected Jesus, you know, the one who died and alive again, that he really did appear to his apostles and to others to prove to them who he really was. As he's writing this trustworthy account, he wants us to know that this account that Jesus is alive is a trustworthy account. In the days before video cameras, eyewitnesses were even more important. You know, if someone, if one person said they saw Jesus alive, you would say, okay. What if one of your buddies said, hey, I saw my friend who died five days ago. I saw him on the street. You say, okay, yeah. But, but then you see in Scripture that there are ten accounts of ten appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, you see Paul saying that at one of those appearances, there were over 500 brothers, not to mention the sisters and children that were there. Luke is very clear on this, that the resurrection, it really did happen. People really did see this Jesus. The resurrection of Christ cannot be a story tale or a myth, but must be historically true if we are to be saved. You know, there will always be those who mock the living God and His people. And perhaps you were one of those people before you became a believer. That's nothing new. But brothers and sisters, the Bible is trustworthy and true. Ours is not a blind faith. We believe in one we cannot see, but that is different. That is not the same thing as a blind faith. Rather, it is one that is based on history of an account that we can trust and here Luke carefully lays out the evidence for nothing less than the transformation of the known world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, no one can convince a spiritually dead person that the Bible is the word of God. That instead is the work of the Holy Spirit. We can trust Luke because he's a good historian, he's a good witness, but oh, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? We can trust Luke because it is the Word of God. That the same Spirit who's been poured out in chapter 2 is the same Spirit who inspired Luke to write first volume, Luke, and second volume, Acts. 
the Bible is ultimately trustworthy because it is God's word. So where's the application here? Well, students, there, there will be people in your class now or now and or in the future who will make fun of you because you believe in the Bible. Especially things like, you know, the, the world teaches something called evolution, which takes God out of creation. And the Bible says, no, that's not true. Right? They're going to mock you for that. They're going to make fun of you for that. Get ready. The Bible is trustworthy. And you, can, you can trust it because it is God's word to you. Or as you get older and the world says you should do this, that, or the other, when God's word makes it real clear about what's appropriate in relationships before marriage. Adults, right? There will be those um, who will look at you like you have three heads when you refuse to do something at work to get ahead. Or don't join in with them doing you fill in the blank. Or setting up your life by priorities of God's word like actually observing the Sabbath. Guarding your time with your family and getting rest and worship on Sundays. That, that's actually an important thing. My friends, God's word is trustworthy, true, authoritative, and it is alive. And through it, God brings salvation and grace to our souls. Well, as we take God's word to the nations, the first thing we have is a trustworthy Bible. You can trust the word of God. It is powerful and it is active and it is um, God's good word. All right, so as we take God's word to the nations, we have the trustworthy word of God. Secondly, we have Christ's presence. The first thing that Luke is going to recount after he's told us his account is trustworthy is to deal with the, 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 deal with the issue of the presence of God with his people, specifically the presence of Jesus. We've, we've confessed earlier in our um, affirmation of faith that we believe in the ascension of Christ, that Christ ascended into heaven, right? Well, this is where we read of it. Uh, Luke is the one that mostly gives us the account of Christ's ascension into heaven. We have it referenced in verse 2 and then fuller details in verses 6 through 11. You know, one of the reasons that transitions uh, are hard is that while it takes a while to figure out what's going on, Excuse me, it's, transitions are tough because a lot of times it just takes a while to figure out what's going on. Have you ever started a new job and thought, man, I, I just I can't quite figure this out. It's, it's just going to take a little while. Um, like when a spouse dies or relocated for a job or even when you transition from middle school to high school, there, there are some things you're just not really sure about. Now, the disciples, the 11 apostles, they didn't really know what was about to happen. And so they looked to Jesus and they asked him a question. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But what were they asking? Well, you know, commentators really don't agree. They don't agree on what exactly they were asking. Were they asking that, okay, are you going to reestablish the political nation group that was the Old Testament Israel? Or, you know, Jesus has been talking about his second coming a lot with his disciples. Is that now? Or are you going to begin to transform people's hearts and bring them into the kingdom? We're not real sure which one of those three is going on here. 
You know, striking, however, whatever is meant here, it's clear that they, they are asking for direction and they don't really know what's going on. Isn't it amazing to see that these are the people that God is going to use to take the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth? You know, praise God that he uses dimwits <laughs> because that's all he's got to work with. And he's using these men here. But he's going to give them a little bit of a rebuke, a soft rebuke. In verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus answers them by telling them nicely, You know, it's really none of your business. It's none of your business of what's coming. But isn't that how it works in life? One of the hard things about transitions is that we don't know what's coming. And God calls us to be faithful witnesses for Him. And He doesn't tell us exactly what's coming. You know, He, he chose these men. They are, they've signed up to be His witnesses. And yet, they don't get the details of what's going to come. That, that's how it is being a disciple of Christ, by the way. Of following Him where He may lead. And not knowing where we're going. But it's important that we have Christ with us. We have Christ with us, but at the same time, verse 9 reads this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. We say that Jesus is with us, but what has just happened? Jesus left. He ascended into heaven, which was important. He said this was going to happen. And when Jesus returned to heaven, He took His sacrifice to the Father. When He went to heaven, He went to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where He now rules and reigns for the good of His church. He went to intercede for us. He now intercedes for us before the throne of His Father. That's, a, that's an important thing. He is our high priest. He went to prepare a place for us, like we read in John 14. And He went so the promised Holy Spirit... Could be sent. It was for our benefit that he returned to heaven. But yet, we have this promise that he told his disciples back in Matthew 28. He said, And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. Even to the end of the age, rather, sorry. Jesus has left, and Jesus is here. Which one is true? Well, both. You have to remember that Jesus has two natures a human nature and a divine nature. He is 100% God, 100% man. By His human nature, the body of the incarnate God has now ascended into heaven. And to quote an ancient church father, the Eastern Church, And now there sits on the throne of heaven the dust of man. But He is also God. And God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And He is especially with us in a special way by the Holy Spirit. See, when we become believers, we are baptized in or baptized with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that as we get to Acts chapter 2. But we are united to Christ. And all that Christ has done for us is then applied to us by whom? By the person of the Holy Spirit. Christ is with us. 
dwells within us, in our hearts by faith, as we are connected to Him by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, my helper, excuse me, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, what have we seen so far? That as we go forth taking the gospel message, we have a trustworthy word. You can trust it. It is powerful and alive. Two, we have the presence of Christ. And lo, I am with you, behold, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And third, now we see that we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes transitions are hard because it's unclear what we're supposed to be doing. Have you ever had that happen? Sitting at a desk at a brand new job thinking, I know I need to be doing something, but I've got to figure out exactly what that is. Or I know I need to do that, but now I've got to figure out how to do it. Or kids, imagine opening a box of Legos and not having any instructions. So Jesus, just before he ascends, he gives them their marching orders. Not only them, but also the church. He gives them to us. Verse 8b. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These 11 men who had been appointed apostles and given authority to act in Christ's behalf, they will soon bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And if you notice that when he says where you're going to be, We need to pay attention to that because it's like concentric circles. Where are they? Well, they're in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives right outside the city gates. Where is their witness first to be? In Jerusalem. Then it's meant to be Judea, which is above Jerusalem, and then Samaria, which is a little above that. And then where? To the ends of the earth, everywhere else. It's almost as if this is an outline of the Gospel of Acts. In chapters 1 through 7, we see the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 11, guess what? We see the spread of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And then in starting in verse, excuse me, in chapter 12 to the end of the book, we see the gospel spread throughout the world. You know, as we think about those concentric circles going out, in many ways, that's a great pattern for us as believers in Christ as we continue to bear witness. As we use the authoritative, trustworthy Word of God, and as we have Christ within us, where do we start? We start with those who are near us. We start with those who are near us. Many of you, I guess we could say all of you, have those who are near you in your context, in your culture, where you work, live, and play, that other believers here don't have access to. Where are they going to hear the good news of Jesus if not by you? And what happens if y'all do know some of the same people? This is Bruton, so I imagine you do. What would happen if the same person heard about Jesus from ten different people? I imagine that would be quite the benefit. We start with those around us, going out beyond that. First with those we live with, then those who we work with, then those who we play together with. And then we go, we send, and we pray as we go beyond the confines of the metro Bruton area, sending forth the gospel witness 
Like our missionaries today, Rick and Betty Ashman, serving in Ecuador, translating the Word of God into the Quito language. This is what the church is meant to be about. Have you ever wondered what the purpose of the church is? Well, this is a pretty good summary statement. To be witnesses, to bear witness about the good news of Jesus. You know, we talk about wanting revival. Don't you want revival? And yet, our prayers are surface level, short and sweet. And it makes me wonder if I, if we, really want revival. We say we want revival. We say we want cultural renewal. We say we want peace. We say we want spiritual renewal in our community, in our country. And yet, our lips stay closed. I wonder if we really want it. But preacher, you say, I can't do that. And you know what? You're right. And God knows that. That's why He hasn't just given us marching orders. He has given us the Holy Spirit. I heard last week, uh, listening to a, a book, and it was talking about um, the bombs we dropped on Japan in World War II, the, the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, did you know that one of those only had a teaspoon of radioactive material in it? A teaspoon. A teaspoon of that material, either uranium or plutonium, depending on which one it was, leveled a city, killing tens of thousands and leaving radioactive many more thousands. A teaspoon. And yet we have one within us who is much more powerful than atomic power. We have the one who created atomic power. We have the one who created the bonds that were broken to make that explosion. We have the living God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is what we see in verses 4 through 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Upon Christ's return to heaven, there's this period of waiting of 10 days until Pentecost. 10 days, and we'll look at the waiting period next week. But Ezekiel 36 said this day was coming. Joel chapter 2 said this day was coming. John the Baptist said this day was coming. Jesus said this day was coming. And soon, verse 8, will be fulfilled. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, here's the thing. God has given us our marching orders, but He hasn't given us our marching orders with an empty fuel tank. He gives us His Holy Spirit as believers as we apply the trustworthy Word of God. As we trust in the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers our ministry. Something soon would happen that would change men's lives forever. These men and every man, woman, boy, and girl who trust in the name of Jesus. Something that would change the people of God forever. Something new in God's plan of redemption would soon happen. Every believer in Christ, beginning at the day of Pentecost, now is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come and dwelt among His people. How do, how do we see this? You know, it's, it is amazing. If you read the Gospels, if you read the Gospel of Luke and then go read second volume of, of Acts, 
And you look at these people, these apostles, you think, are these really the same people? Don't you remember about Peter, the, the one who denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times the night was when Jesus was betrayed, even though Jesus had told him it was going to happen before the rooster crowed. Do, do you remember that guy? He is the one that will soon be baptized by the Holy Spirit and lead to the conversion of 3,000 men on the day of Pentecost. Wow. Is that the same person? Or, or, or doubting Thomas who doubted if this was hated. Is that, I, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And then he would, by tradition, he would take the gospel all the way to India. Is this the same person? Well, yes and no. It's the same flesh and blood, but it is not the same spirit. The Holy Spirit now dwelt within them, empowering them for ministry. And my friends, the same spirit dwells within us, fueling our ministry as we rely on the trustworthy word of God. As we minister within the presence of Christ. As we seek to fulfill our marching orders. See, the true miracle of Pentecost was not that all those people heard Peter preaching in their language. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? But you know, you can listen to a translation of something and it won't have any impact on you. Unless the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. The true miracle is that 3,000 people of God-fearers, they would become Christians. They would repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ Jesus. My friends, this is the Spirit that continues to work today. He may not be continuing in the sense of tongues and, and this miracle of, of hearing that we see at Pentecost. But my friends, the Holy Spirit lives within you and dwells within you and empowers you for ministry. Well, we have to conclude the trustworthy Word of God. You need to know it. If we're going to apply it, if we're going to proclaim it, we've got to know it. We have the presence of Christ with us, and He will be with us even to the end of the age, and we have the Holy Spirit within us, empowering us for ministry. And now we go about our marching orders. Until verse 11 is fulfilled. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Let's pray. So Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would come quickly and make all things new. Lord, until then, empower us for ministry by your Spirit as we rely on the presence of Christ and wielding the trustworthy Word of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.